0: 58 verses 1 to 12 and really kind of the context of Isaiah 58 in the bigger picture is part of the servant songs of Isaiah and it's that series of songs in which Isaiah the prophet talks about people's need for God and the need to connect with God, the need to get to know him, the need to uh, be right with him the need to know what life's all about. And in Isaiah 51 to 52, 53, he talks about the fact that God recognizes the fact that left to ourselves, we will never find him. Like it's not even an option. It isn't going to happen. The only way that you and I will find God is if he finds us. And it's it's he's the initiator and we respond. And so Isaiah 53 talks about God sending the servant who will die, he will be stricken, he will be smitten, he'll bear our sins, he'll be carried out our life and death, and wholeness, and out of that will come a righteousness that comes to you and me, that um, is a free gift, not based on our performance. And then 54, 55, it goes on, 57, and he talks about salvation to the nations, not just the Jewish people. And then in 57, and 58, it's almost like all this amazing talk about what God's doing, and His people don't get it, right? I think they're probably not unlike me and that God tells me all the things he's done for me. He lays it all out clearly, and I go, oh, that's great. What do you want me to do? What can I do? What's the next step? Give me a list, and I can start ticking it off, and I'll feel good about what I'm doing, right? So in Isaiah 57, God says, your idolatry makes me sick. I, I, I hate what you do. And then in 57 and 58, I mean, he turns and he comes to his people and he's a little bit shocking. Uh, the voice in Isaiah 58, you have to understand, English doesn't quite cut it sometimes. It, it begins in verse 1 of 15. it says, Cry aloud, don't hold back, lift up your voice like a trumpet, declare to my tr- people their transgressions, to the house of Jacob their sins. And it's, the words he uses there are scream out loud, just hammer them with the fact that my people are screwing it up. I'm tired of their nonsense. Yell at them. Scream at them. Let them have it with both barrels. Don't go, please talk to my people and tell them they're having a problem. Right? It's not helpful. Right? I don't know about you, when my wife comes to me and says, Steve, we have a problem. I go, well, that's nice. And I go about doing whatever I do. If she comes and she's falling apart and yelling, I go, oh, I better listen. Because if I don't, all hell's breaking loose and I'm going to get it. Right? Some of you may not have that problem. I do because my listening ability is severely hampered and has nothing to do with age. It has nothing to do with hearing loss. It has everything to do with the fact of selective hearing. right? <laughs> and so Isaiah says this. God calls him to cry out, to scream, to sound like a trumpet, to blare out and blurt out clearly to his people that God is tired of their transgression. He's tired of their sin. And here's the sin that he enumerates. And when I first read this, I was thinking, oh, he's going to say they did this, this, and had this horrible list. But listen to the list he gives. Verse 2, they seek me daily. They delight to know my ways, as if they're a nation that did righteousness. And they don't forsake the judgment of God, and they ask me for righteous judgments, and they delight to draw near to God. That's weird to say the best. That's strange. I'm expecting him to say, you're worshiping idols, you're doing this, you're hurting people, you're doing all this stuff. He doesn't. He says, you love me, you delight to do my ways, you seek me every day, you pray like crazy, you're religious in your performance, everything about you smells like church. You're amazing people. It's great, but I hate it. And it's, I don't know about you, but I find that a bit shocking because John would probably love it if all of you were people that seek God every day, read your Bible every day, pray like crazy, don't want anything other than God's righteousness, and all you do is serve him. Sounds pretty good to me, but he says it's not good. And so as I look at that, I look to myself and I say, what in the world is going on? Why is God so offended by the very things that religious people, God's people, call good things? Why does God have the same reaction to it as some of us do when we see people smell like church, right? We just kind of shake our head and we go, man, I don't like this. And we walk away, all right? I remember as a kid when I was atten- I went to church growing up, but I only went because I had this fear that if God took attendance, at least I was present. <laughs> right? It had nothing to do with anything other than that. I'd, I'd work till about three in the morning at a restaurant as a waiter, and I'd go to church right after work and um, many cups of coffee later, and I'd still go up in the balcony, sleep on the back bench. But if He took attendance, my body was present. Can't say much for the other parts, but the body was present, right? And so for me, this this whole setting of Isaiah 58 in the beginning is this emptiness of just what we so often settle for as good enough. Pray, read our Bible, be devotional, be holy, do the right thing, say the right thing, serve, try to seek righteousness, really want to know God. I mean, all those things sound amazingly hopeful, and yet God says no. And here's why. He says, why have they fasted? This is why have we fasted? This is God's people speaking. Why have we fasted and you don't see it, God? Why have we humbled ourselves and you don't acknowledge it? Like we don't understand God. We have been so good and you don't pay attention. Why? That tells me what the sin of these people are. And it's my sin, sadly enough. It's called entitlement. Right, God, I've done all this stuff for you. Now pay up. I've, I've been good. I've said the right things. I've done the right things. Man, I've even been present every week. Come on. I quit a job to be here every week. What's the problem here? Pay attention to what I'm doing. Don't you pay attention? What's your problem? Don't you do that? You might think you don't have that issue. In my life, I've dealt with enough sickness and struggle and uh, I'm a stroke survivor and a cancer survivor. And uh, I remember when both those things hit, you know the first thought that went through my mind? Not, what am I going to do? My poor wife's left with a vegetable. No, 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 no. What went through my mind is, God, how does this work? All I'm trying to do is work for you, and you've got to make it so bloody hard. <laughs> like, what are you doing? Why do you make things difficult? You Owe me. I've given up this and this and this and this and I'm serving you. Now get out of the way and fix this. Because how am I supposed to work with brokenness? It's a weird, weird place to be. And yet, when we're hit between the eyes with what we feel is the unfairness of God, how do we respond? Do we respond with, You're God, I'm not, do your thing? Or do we respond, Wait a minute here. What is it that you have in mind? This isn't what I paid up, signed up for. See, we're exactly like Isaiah's people. We're exactly like these people who, on the surface, love justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with God. And yet we do it with the heart of entitlement. And that entitlement is a weird thing. In our programs in Vancouver and globally, we experience entitlement. We see what happens. We bring girls that come into our program in Vancouver, they come off the streets. They've lived in dumpsters, cardboard boxes, all kinds of things before they come to us. They move into a beautiful home. And within, I don't know, Dom, what, a month? Three months? Pretty soon, they start, they're offended at everybody else. New girls come in and they forget where they were. These girls aren't behaving like we behaved. We deserve, and we slow slow the train down. This entitlement that you have needs to be blasted. Because honestly, you don't deserve anything. You don't deserve anything. It's all a gracious gift provided by God. Slow the train down. So then God goes on in verses 6, 7, and 8, and here's what he says. Behold, in the day you fast, you seek your own pleasure. You oppress all of your workers. You fast only to quarrel and to fight, to hit the wicked with a wicked fist. Fasting like yours on this day will not make your voice heard in heaven. In such a fast, is this the fast I choose? A day for a person to humble himself? Is it to bow down his head like a reed and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Will you call this a fast, a acceptable day to the Lord? See, what Isaiah does is this whole first part of the chapter deals with what it means to really love God. Right? It's, the first, it's the first table of the commandments. Love God with your whole heart, mind, strength, soul. Everything in you. Love him. It's what Dom talked about. Having this love relationship with a God who's given everything for you. And your response isn't, what are you going to do for me? Your response is, whoa. Whoa. And Isaiah says, you have all the right details. You do all the right stuff. You say all the right prayers. All of which are actually good things. Understand all good things, and Isaiah says, but at the same time you're fasting, withholding your mouth from food, you don't feed people who are actually starving. At the time that you're talking about freedom and justice, you're beating up the people who work for you. It doesn't compute, folks. Your behaviors and your beliefs are contradictory, and so you're left with a setting in which Isaiah says to them, what good are you? Does God even care about what your mouth does if it's not computing with what your heart does? He goes on in, in, in the second half of Isaiah chapter 58, and he moves into what does the fast that he requires of his people. And it's a fast that's, that really picks up the second half of the law, which is to love your neighbor as yourself. But understand, Isaiah puts them both together. Loving God with all you are and doing nothing isn't loving God. Okay? Loving your neighbor as yourself and not loving God is still not really loving your neighbor. Because in both categories, you're doing it for you. When you love God with your heart and hate your neighbor, he says, ultimately what you're doing is manipulating God and trying to get what you want. Your worship becomes this kind of unholy theater performance in which you're saying to God, look at us, aren't we amazing? And God goes, <laughs> gag, If you're loving your neighbor and there's no gospel, there's no heart for God in it, then you're not really loving your neighbor. You're just having mercy on somebody who has less than you. Understand the difference. When I had my stroke in uh, 2003, I I think it was. It's been a while. I was riding a bus because I'd lost the ability to drive a car. I was a big guy. I'd never been sick a day in my life. I had to walk with two canes. And I stumbled on this old bus. And it's a weird thing when you've been raised by a mom and dad who say, when old people come, let them sit down. And I got on the bus, and all the old people let me sit down. And I was only 40. And it's a bizarre feeling. And I'm sitting on that bus, and uh, I was mad. I was so angry, because God didn't do what I wanted him to do. And on the bus, an old, old lady, my age now, came and she sat next to me. And she said, are you Steve? And I go, do I know you? And she said, no, you don't know me. I said, well, uh, this is bizarre. What are you doing? And she said, well, oh, I, I, God gave me a message to give you today, and I've never had this happen in my life, and I feel really weird, but I'm going to tell you. Here's the message. It's real simple. All your life, you've helped the poor people and the broken people, and the hurting people. Now it's time to be one for a while so that you know what it's like to receive. Have a good day, and she got off the bus. Now that's bizarre, but understand, I was doing exactly what Isaiah 58 is saying. I was loving God, and I was loving a neighbor, but the two weren't connected. See, only in Jesus do we connect what it means to love God and love our neighbor. Only in Christ are we able to put the two together in a way that makes it not hypocrisy. Because it's not about loving God to prove something to Him. It's not about loving the neighbor because I have more than them. It's about loving God and letting it spill out on everybody around me. That's all. That's all it is. So I sat on the bus and I was just blown away and I missed my stop. I was supposed to go meet my neurologist who was going to work on telling me how I'm going to go through therapy and learn to walk and I missed it. Now that doesn't sound dramatic at all but what it meant was I had to get off the bus, walk three blocks with my two canes, get on the bus going the other direction to go back what I had missed. All because I was blown away by the fact that what God was doing was calling me on my hypocrisy. You're saying, Steve, this is not about how you love me. I don't owe you anything, my friend. I gave you everything. And I don't want you to earn great favor with me because you're such a great person. Forget it, you're not. It has nothing about that. I now want to teach you what it's like to get and receive instead of being a giver. So relax, enjoy the trip. And it was horrible, right? Saint Vincent de Paul says in one of his prayers, "Father, forgive. May the poor man forgive me for the bread I'm supposed to give him today, (laughs) right? Because it's harder to receive than it is to give. Give always makes us feel like we're a have, helping a have not. Being a have not and receiving makes us feel very little, right? And so what Isaiah says is, listen, folks." Justice and mercy, kiss in Christ. And as I kiss in Christ, it's about loving God in the way you look at your neighbor and loving your neighbor the way you look at God. You realize that you're a beggar and you're helping another beggar know where the bread line is. You realize you're a broken person who's speaking out of his own brokenness to help other broken people come to know the one who can walk with them through brokenness. That's all. Right? We're not the have, I got it together now. Listen to what I have to say. Forget it. Sorry. doesn't work that way. Right. So Isaiah goes on, and he says, when that happens, isn't this the fast I choose for you? Verse eight, 6. To loose the bonds of wickedness. To undo the straps of the yoke. To let the oppressed go free. To break every yoke. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry? To bring the homeless poor into your house. And when you see a naked man, to cover him. And not to hide yourself from your own flesh. The fast that God requires is that we see ourselves just like we see other people. What does he want? He wants so a fast that breaks the bonds of brokenness. Who does that? Him. Do I set the, the free the captives? No. Do servants anonymous set free the girls who are broken and damaged? No. Do we repair them and fix them and send them out to the world as whole people? No. No. They stay with us seven years, and at the end of seven years, they can leave the same way they came. Unless God steps in the middle and changes them like he's changed us. That's what it's all about, you see. Mercy is giving to somebody what I've received. Justice is God giving us, giving what we deserve to somebody else, right? See, Jesus bears the results of my injustice. He bears the results of my sin. He bears the curse for me. And what am I supposed to do? I'm just going to go, oh, man, Mercy Hill. (laughs) What an amazing thing. And then I'm going to turn to my brothers and my sisters still there and say, listen, come, 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 come. Come and see what mercy does. Come and see how mercy looks. Somebody took care of the justice part, but it's time for you to bring mercy because only God can be just. Because even in my humanity as redeemed, my justice is unjust, right, and my mercy is tamed. And so Isaiah calls us to do something that ultimately is impossible, right? And he makes it even more impossible because he starts out there. When you see the broken, set them free. The captive, da da, da 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 You see the one in bondage, break the bonds. When you see a homeless person, take them home. When you see a naked person, give them your clothes. And then he stops and he says, and don't ignore your own people, your own family, right? I can't tell you how many times working with God's people, we pour all of our energies out there and our kids are going to seed, right? I remember sitting around at my grandfather's funeral and I got to do his funeral, which was an amazing thing. He was a a pastor. He'd been a pastor. He died in his late 80s. He was a reformed church pastor. And um, we were sitting in my aunt's house and all the siblings, so my dad's brother and his three sister, everybody's gathered around the table and layers of, siblings and layers of cousins and layers of everybody at this funeral. And I hate those kind of gatherings, generally speaking, because everybody's trying to be nice and you actually don't feel nice. You feel a little bit like let's get this sucker over with and go home. <laughs> right? It's not a fun time. And, and so I've learned to just be an idiot and ask questions. So I asked my aunts and uncles and my father, so what was it like growing up with granddad? Like, he raised me more than my own father did. So what's it like growing up with granddad? Holy smokes. I set, the, I set the beast loose, right? And they all talked about how granddad and grandma, who I loved in terms of their service and their godliness, had sacrificed everything to serve God and didn't care for their own family. Not one of their kids went into Christian ministry. Not one of them carried on the legacy it's bizarre. And we went around the table and each of them talked about, well, dad loved you more than you. That was the weirdest moment of my life, adulthood-wise. Because it sounded like a bunch of adolescents talking about, mom did this for you and she didn't like me, and da-da-da. And on it went. And they were all in their 70s. And I was looking around, I'm going, whew. See, it never changes. Right? It never changes. We can't give mercy to anyone until we're recipients of uh, Mercy that we don't understand and don't deserve. And so Isaiah ends his beautiful section by saying very simply, then you will call upon the Lord and he will answer you. You won't have to ask why you don't listen. Then you will cry and he'll say, here I am. You don't have to go hunting. I'm right here. And I will take away the yoke if you take away the yoke from your midst. And you stop the pointing of fingers and speaking wickedness. If you pour yourself out for the hungry, if you satisfy the desire of the afflicted, if you, you do these things, then your light will rise in the darkness and your gloom will be as the noonday and the Lord will continually guide you and he will satisfy your desire in a scorched place and he'll make your bones strong and you'll be like a watered garden, a spring of water whose waters never fail and your ancient ruins will be rebuilt and you'll raise up the foundation of many generations and you will be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of the streets to dwell in. See, what God says very fascinatingly is if, if we blend these two things together in such a way that our loving of God is loving the things he loves, if our service of God is serving the things that he serves, if our call of God on our lives is having our heartbreak over what breaks God's heart, then he says, this is what's going to happen. You're going to call, and I'm going to say, here I am. I not to have to go hunting. What do you need? I'm here. And then you, the light's going to come on, and you're going to go, whoa. And he says, and you'll be known as the one who fixes the walls, stands in the gap, and restores the life, the neighborhood, to livability, right? Now, one of the beauties of what we do in SA, and I, this is part that attracts me and loves me. Dom was in my church, actually, and I was her pastor before... I came to work for them. And uh, one of the things that I love and I'm attracted to is the fact that we are cycle breakers, okay? So, you know, sometimes we feel like a little kid, maybe the best illustration is we're like a little kid on the Gulf of Mexico with a teaspoon trying to empty it. Very effective, right? (laughs) It's not working, (laughs) right? But don't look at it that way see what we look at is like every woman that comes out that comes through the restoration process every single one of them breaks a cycle for generations and one of the beautiful things that we enjoy is at christmas time it's chaos i mean it's we're now like 60 70 of us gather for christmas together and we last year we rented a back room of a spaghetti factory very american place but we like it and uh, they didn't quite know what to do with us Right, Because here we are, all these street ladies and their kids and grandkids, cycles broken, you see, because they're all part of this new family. And we're just having this incredible celebration. The kids are running around like kids do, and they're bouncing off the walls, and the moms are still practicing the old ways of doing things. Hey, get back here! And the servers and the waitresses and the hosts are all going, I hope these people leave soon. You, you can see it on their face, but we didn't. We actually enjoyed ourselves, and we had fun together. And what was so amazing was to see the cycle broken. We stood in the gap, and God was a restorer because he not only restored us, broken ones, but he used us to restore these broken ones, who in turn restored the broken ones in their own clan, and who in turn were having grandkids that were not like their moms. I mean, that's an incredible experience, you see. And every one teaspoon that we dip out of that, that gulf is worth the dip because you look at the kids and the gen- grandkids and the generations that follow because that now is a free person whose yoke has been broken, whose chains have been gone, whose life has been changed. Why? Because of us? No. Because we, like Jesus, are working on learning to blend together what it means to love God and love our neighbor. That's all. We want to act justly. We want to love mercy. We want to walk humbly with our God. And walking humbly with God is is really simple. We're no different than the people we serve, actually. We just happen to know where the best food is. And so we're telling other people, okay, come check this out. Come and see. Come and see. We know what's good. Come and taste it. The next chapter in Isaiah, he has this... Incredible song that I remember singing as a younger guy. And it's Ho everyone that thirsteth, come to the waters. You who have no money, come and buy and eat. You who sacrifice everything for nothing, come delight yourself in fatness. Why? Because he's good. It's an amazing picture, right? And that's what Isaiah ends in this section as he moves us to this place where he says, What do I want from you? Do I want your prayers? Do I want your devotion? Do I want your seeking me every day? Do I want your crying out to me? Do I want you doing all these things? Well, for sure I want those things. But I don't want those things so I get something. I want them because I want you to reflect what I'm like. I want your sacrifice of coming to me in prayer. I want you to seek me. I want you to love righteousness. I want you to be people who love to hear my word. I desire that. But I don't desire that if you think that's all it takes. Because if that's all it takes, well, you know what? Let's call it done and go home, right? It isn't what it's all about, you see? It's that. But that just makes a whole bunch of pious hypocrites, actually. And what he wants is people who love what he loves. And what does God love? It's not a mystery. Us. And everybody is messed up as we are. That's the facts, right? And what did he do? He came and became one of us, sacrificed everything, became a servant to us. For what purpose? So that we could all become really good people? Sorry, not what it works like. He sacrificed all of that so that we become servants like him. And we pour out our lives not to help people get fixed, we pour our lives as a service to him, and lo and behold, people change. And we go, whoa, how did that happen, right? I'll never forget, and I'll end with this story, is we, um, we had a new staff member in our in our organization, and she took my place dealing with the recovery classes for the women, which was interesting, cuz I'm a guy and really their problems are guys, you have to understand. But I did the recovery, and we had become really good friends, these gals. And this new staff member came, and she took the recovery classes. And one day, we're working downstairs, Dom and Carla and I, and all of a sudden we hear this, bang! And she'd flip the table upside, and she stormed out the door, and then, bum, 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 bum down the stairs came the staff member chasing her. And we, we told them, don't do that, because they'll come back. And just, don't worry about it, just let them alone. Oh well, no, she chased her down, and she caught her, which is even more bizarre, and she put her in her car, which is like kidnapping, and she brought her back to us, which is like unlawfully, you know know the drift, and she brought her in her office, and she sat her in the chair, and she goes, pray for her. (laughs) What would you do? I didn't. I just said no. She said, no? I said, no, I'm not going to pray for her. I want to know what's going on. I mean, she's obviously really upset, so we should figure out why. So she began with this litany of angst against God. It was pretty incredible. I mean, it was things I'd thought before. I mean, it was not new news. And she poured it all out. And I listened, and I didn't say anything, and the staff member was, like, looking at me, and her eyes were getting bigger and bigger. And um, the story began earlier when this girl came into the program. Her first comment to me is, Steve, I want you to know I'm an atheist. I said, oh, okay. She said, okay? I said, yeah, it's okay. God has habits of taking us where he finds us and not leaving there, leaving us there. It's okay. It's okay. So here she is for 40 minutes. She's screaming about how bad God is. Now, she's an atheist. Now, you understand the conflict here? So I let her finish, and she got done, and I just said, are you finished? Yep. I said, okay, I only have one question, and forgive me, I'm stupid, but you've told me you don't believe in God, and yet for 40 minutes, all you've done is call him every name in the book and rake him over the coals and beat the crap out of him with your words, uh, there's a problem, and she looked at me, and she goes, hmm, you're right, let's pray, <laughs> I said, no, 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 we're not praying yet, we got to deal with this, and so we talked, and We ended up praying together, and it was pretty cool. Because the fact is, God was there the whole time, and in that midst of that conversation, he was sitting there. He's present. He's present wherever his people are gathered, right? And so he'd heard everything, she said. And I told her that, and she said, but I'm still alive. And I said, yeah. You see, that's mercy. Mercy. Jesus bore the curse so that you don't have to And from that on, we were good buddies, right? She was with us for a while, and she left. And a few months ago, not long ago now, I was on one of Vancouver's buses, because I still do that once in a while. And um, I was sitting in a chair, and when Dom and I ride the bus, we seem to collect all the loony cases and nut bars. They come and sit to us and talk with us. And so I was sitting next to a guy with an aluminum foil helmet. (laughs) And he was filling me in on the fact that the CIA was bugging the bus. And so I was just—I listening, and he's talking. All of a sudden, I hear, hey, Steve. And I looked, and here's that girl. I hardly recognized her. And she said, I want to introduce you to my daughter. I go, oh, cool. So I met her daughter. And she says, yeah, my husband and I are doing this and this and this, and this is our little girl. And I went, whoa. (laughs) Thanks be to God. You see, God didn't save her through us. God took a sister who was broken, just like we are. You see, he didn't say, Be holy, say all these prayers, do all this stuff. No, 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 no. He said, Come to know me. Take my yoke upon you. Take my burden, because it's light. If you're weary, what are you supposed to do? Put more load on? No, come to me. Take on my load, it's light. And I'm just sitting there. I I had tears in my eyes, and I just looked at her, and I go, this is so amazing. And she gave me a big hug, and her little, she said, this is grandpa to her little girl, which was kind of cool. Yeah, I'm not, but it felt like it. It felt pretty cool, because here I'm seeing a generation-breaker. She's no longer a slave. She's a free daughter of the grand king of heaven. And she's carrying with her her little daughter who's also a free daughter of the Grand King of Heaven, who's going to have kids that are also children of the Grand King of Heaven and have hope because they have had the bounds broken. By who? By Jesus. And so Isaiah ends this thing with this incredible thing. You will become the restorer of the city. You'll become the one who stands in the gap and calls people to come out. You'll be one who rebuilds the walls to protect this wall. This is who you'll be. How do you get there? Just be quiet and follow me. Do what I do. When what breaks my heart breaks your heart, then you know you're walking where I'm walking. Love mercy. Do justice. Walk humble with your God.